And welcome back to uh, the buzzardry. This is uh, February 12th, recording right at 530 Central. And uh, yeah, I guess everybody's kind of here for the uh, the big baseball preview. We're going to go position by position, look at the schedule, look at Maris, look at kind of the Sun Belt and then Sun Belt Week 1. But uh, first, I guess we'll, uh, or I guess I'll, you know, introduce myself, Patrick McGee here with uh, with Jonathan Brent, Jacob Fitzgerald. How are you guys doing? Great. Monday after the Super Bowl, getting back in the swing of things. Other than that, uh, excited to talk about some Golden Eagle baseball. Absolutely. I, uh, it's a lot, a lot of fun to think about uh, a week from now. We'll have a, a Monday afternoon game to take in. Those are pretty rare. Yeah, I was just, yeah, I guess first since, uh, was it was a 2021, they played that one game against Northwestern State, but they got uh, postponed because of the weather that weekend, if, if I recall. That that was the series that started on Sunday. They played the doubleheader on Sunday, then the one game on, on Monday opening weekend against Northwestern State. But yeah, this one's a midweek, so a little different. Um, but yeah, so well, I guess, but we're first going to start off with, with basketball. And uh, I guess the first thing we got to start off with is the, the news about Jay Lander being hospitalized. Uh, that news broke, I guess, Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday, right at five o'clock. And obviously, really scary stuff. Um, it seems like he's, you know, on the mend, and you know, the um, his outlook is good. But I mean, still, really, uh, really scary stuff when you're talking about, you know, a heart issue. They didn't specify exactly what it was. I mean, I guess the kind of the word right now um, is that he'll be out at least a couple weeks. They think, according to a Hardwood Club um email so yeah Juan Cardona has filled in uh to that role here and um so yeah hoping just hoping for the best for coach um we'll see if he um you know comes back in the next couple weeks if he comes back at all this season you know obviously don't need to rush him at all uh with this kind of health uh with this kind of health issues but um I I guess just uh getting into the game or or get did you guys have any thoughts on that or do you want me to go ahead and uh, hit the game yeah just thoughts and prayers to coach and his family definitely Hits home with our fan base is not only our head coach, but son on the team, played here, went to school here. Um, hope for a quick recovery um, and that uh, we can keep playing playing hard um, until he comes back and after he comes back for him. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about it in a second with the games, but obviously, um, obviously a lot of concern for Coach Ladner and uh, his family and what they're going through. And uh, – Good to see some bounce back from the team and not not letting that distract them too much. And I think probably as we saw, especially with the Western Michigan game, using that a little bit uh, to fuel the fire. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so we'll get into this game. And the, I guess the old Dominion game was uh, the first game. And it was, you know, we talked about the difference between uh, the league games and the MAC challenge and how, you know, you'd rather win the league games than the, the challenge game. But you know, uh, it was a you know really close game for most of it. I mean, uh, USM got down twenty four sixteen, but I think uh, this was. I mean, really, this whole week or these two games, you really shot the ball a lot better. I mean, you shoot nine of eighteen uh, in this game. You shoot just under, I think, fifty percent in the other game. But this was kind of the the Austin Crowley game where he scores thirty, uh, and he was really able to do you know whatever he wanted. I think you know scoring inside mid range three. So he yeah, he had thirty and ten. A uh, really good game for him. Uh, you had Ivory with 16, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just it was a, uh, a closer game that I think a lot of people were um, were wanting or expecting, just because Old Dominion's really struggled and they're you know last place team in the league. And I don't know exactly what the line was on this, uh, but yeah, I mean, you were just kind of able to scrape it out. Came back from an eight point deficit, got up, uh, stretched it to 11 there, uh, and then you kind of you know it got a little uh, tight there. 
But yeah, again, able to win 78-73 there. Uh, and again, Crowley, uh, the big contributor there. So what what did you guys have on the uh, Old Dominion game? Yeah, I, I think the line was five and a half and one by five. So that's going to show you how, how much Vegas knows, even though um, on paper and I think in person, it looks like we're one of those games where the more talented team, just like Texas State the game before, and just kind of weren't playing the potential, playing to our potential. And um, big game from Crowley, like you said, 30 and 11. Um, shot over 50% from the field and from three land. Uh, another double-double from Duwako, who's my player of the week. And, um, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't matter how it looks as long as it's a win, kind of one, kind of those games. Um, so, yeah, glad it didn't come out like the Texas State game did. And being at home, I'm sure, was a, a big deal there. Yeah, not sure what I was expecting um, with with uh, you know Ladner's situation and Cardona taking over the uh, interim job, but um, excited that we were able to finish it off. Very slow start that kind of worried me at first, but uh, you know Coach Cardona's got a lot of fire, and I think the players really buy into his uh, you know his his attitude, which I like. Um, you know, it's fun. <laughs> I think it, it goes without saying that uh, everybody likes watching him there on on the uh, on the court side. But um, you know, listening to him post game and how much he cares about the program, you know, and how much he loves uh, Coach Ladner and the relationship that they have is pretty special. So uh, I think that win means a lot more than just the uh, W in the column. Uh, honestly, um, it, it felt good even after a slow start. Yeah, so we'll move on to uh, the Western Michigan, and this was, uh, you know, we talked, you know, just saying the MAC challenge doesn't count for the standings, but I mean, really, might have been the best game you played all year. I mean, maybe aside from the James Madison game. So yeah, USM wins this eighty six fifty four, and it was a game where you average uh, one point three points per possession. That's really really good. But I think the big story was uh, was Owako, who I mean, he had an unbelievable game thirty one points on on uh, on sixteen shots. Uh, 11 to 14 from two, one to two from three, hit a, you know, a three there at the buzzer, uh, at halftime, uh, to put you up seven, had 13 rebounds. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, a game where USM opened up a little bit of a lead there in the first half. And then, you know, Western Michigan went on a run there, I think a double digits, nothing run. And it was 37, 33. And then, uh, Iwako hits the three pointer, make it 40 to 33. And after that, you you know, you kind of never look back and you're able to win this, uh, by 32. And again, another really good shooting performance. 12 of 26 from three. So, again, yeah, just right at under uh, 50% from three, which good to see. I think good to see the three-point shooting coming back because I think, you know, you get into that conference tournament, I think you're going to really have to rely on a lot of these shooters like an Ivory, like a Montgomery to really get hot if you're going to have a chance uh, of making a run at Pensacola. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a complete performance. Again, you score or you know points per possession, 1.3. You hold uh, Western Michigan to just – uh, over 0.8 points per possession. So a uh, really dominant win. Again, not a game that's going to count toward the standings, but it is going to, you know, help you in the efficiency metrics, the Ken Palm and the net. And, you know, what we can talk about kind of the standings and, um, you know, just the probabilities of the seeding. But, you know, if you were to make a run in Pensacola and, you know, you win the conference tournament, you know, this is the game where if you get a big enough boost in the net, it could bump you, you know, from a 16 to a 15 or keep you out of Dayton because you are still – you have some still – uh uh, in the 200s of net, which typically that's kind of the danger range and maybe getting in a play in. So uh, any kind of win where you can, you know, boost your net like that, winning about 32, I, th- I think is a good one. But yeah, I mean, really, um, you know, I, I think we're kind of wondering, like, how is, you know, Cardona's, uh, is he going to change the way the team plays it on? I think you saw in that first game, it kind of looked like, well, is the team going to play more up tempo? Because you saw a 76 possession game, which is really quick. This game slowed it down a little bit more to 66. So I, I mean, I don't think there's enough of a sample size to really say. Um, you know, whether or not 
the team's going to play quicker or slower or, you know, whatever, be more aggressive defensively. Um, so you kind of had, you know, you know, you know, the quicker game uh, against ODU, slower game against uh, Western Michigan. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you, you know, two games that I think everybody thought USM should have won. USM's favorite of both of them. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, just good to get back on track starting the six-game homestand. And, uh, yeah, starting 2-0. and So what were your, I guess, thoughts on uh, Western Michigan and then maybe, maybe the week as a whole? Yeah, I think the defense was the name of the game here and, and Victor Waka. Um, but I think I, I saw something where we, we held him without a field goal the last 12 minutes of the game, which is crazy. Um, and, yeah, obviously, the Waka with the, the the whole game, the game as a whole, but that three at the buzzer to kind of stop momentum, I think they narrowed it to four after we just looked like it dominated the first half and then forgot how to play mm-hmm. for a few minutes. And another thing of note, it was good to see Victor Hart back on the floor. He had three threes, um, definitely didn't look to have his full energy, which is not expected to after he's been out as long as he has been, but good to ease him back in, hoping to give us some, some big minutes during the, this conference stretch. And Bell was in attendance. Sounds like he may have been recovering from the flu. So it sounds like uh, chances of him returning to the team may be still intact by the end of the year. And that's what you need, a, f- a fully healthy team in March. Hope we can keep pushing towards that. Yeah, excited about going 2-0 on the week. I mean, that's the goal, right? So uh, looking forward to uh, ULM on the 15th and um, hope to keep rolling. Yeah, I think you kind of look at the standings now, USM, uh, I guess, fifth place. But if you kind of look at the probabilities, it's it's in the 30%, I think, of getting a top four. There was, I think, one site uh, that Sam Sklora posted that had it around 28. I think another site, uh, there's a Purdue fan that has a site that had it around that same number. So I think 30% for a double buy um, is looking kind of like what the number is right now. But I think if you can sweep ULM or sweep this upcoming week with ULM and Texas State, uh, which you'll be favoring both, and you beat South Alabama. I think that sets up, you know, a really huge game against Lafayette there on the 24th at Reed Green, which, I mean, could decide who gets that fourth seed. I think, you know, Lafayette is, has a one-game lead over USM or is one game ahead of USM in the standings. But them losing to Georgia State uh, was really helpful there at home, uh, dropping them, you know, within a game to where USM could at least tie them. And then, you know, you play obviously another game there. Uh, the Cajun Dome to uh, to end the season. That's on a Friday, March first. Um, but yeah, I mean, you kind of get back on track uh, in the conference, and I think you kind of. Uh, I guess another thing I was thinking of um, was you know how much of the, of value really. I mean, you know, we kind of emphasize the double buy, but you know, I guess if USM were to get a five seed, you would play you know ULM, ODU, or, or Coastal there in the opener. That would be. A uh, pretty, I mean, a, a easier game, and then you would get another day off. I mean, kind of like you saw with South Alabama last year, uh, from that Thursday to Saturday. So, and then you would be in the four or five, which you, you know, either with the four plays the five. So, I guess it wouldn't be much different. So, I mean, you would prefer to get the double buy, but I guess if you do get the five, you uh, on Thursday, then you get into Friday or into Saturday, and uh, I guess you have the day off. So, where it may not be quite as bad as you know you're making out if you or making it out to be if you don't get that double buy, um, just because you get a day of rest, but. Um, I guess any yeah any last thoughts on the or on conference standings before we get into uh, to ULM and uh, in Texas State? Yeah, you took the both thoughts out of my mouth that you just said. I think that if our odds sit around thirty percent right now for a top four, if you just hold serve in these next two, like you said, or even stretch it out to three home games where you should be favoring all three, like we have done the past year and a half as a Sun Belt member, um, that's probably a 50-50 chance and that you get for that top top four spot. 
and then that turned into a, a huge game at home, last home game of the year. So senior day against ULL after a, um, I would presume would be the Missouri State Saturday yes. baseball game. So that'd be a huge day on campus. Definitely need all the fans um, in town to come support the team at, at Reed Green and, and the Pete um, these next couple weekends. Uh, it's a fun crossover time of year. Ready to move? Or are we ready to move on to uh to you? I guess ULM. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So ULM and Texas State this week, and uh, ULM uh, nine and fourteen. They are four and eight. The four and eight in the league. They just uh, swept this last weekend uh, against Coastal, and then they beat Eastern Michigan in the MAC Challenge. Uh. But yeah, I mean USM had played there earlier in the year. It was a close game for most of. I mean, really, it was a, a 71-58 win for USM, but it was you know pretty close for 36, 37 minutes, but. Uh, I guess you kind of look at them. Uh, I think the thing that you kind of like as a USM fan is they don't really shoot the three at all. Where they shoot the three at all well, twenty eight percent from three, twenty one percent of their or the total points are three to three. So they don't really rely on the three at all. They do, um, uh, you know, they get to the rim a lot. Fifty seven percent of their uh, points are uh, they're through two pointers. But I guess you kind of uh, look at their uh, team, uh, Tyreek Locure, uh, ten points. Uh, he was a guy that was in South Alabama for a while. And then, guess getting into uh, the Texas State. So they're two sixteen in in Ken Palm, eleven and fourteen in the league. Uh, four or sorry, eleven and fourteen overall, four and eight in the league. Um, and you know, we kind of you know touched on them, I guess, uh, last week, talking about that game there. Um, again, kind of similar to to ULM in the sense they don't take a lot of threes. They're not a great three point shooting team. Uh, you know, Jordan Mason, Caden Gums, those are kind of the guys you look at. Brandon Love, big man, that's really been solid for him. Um, so yeah, I mean, two games that I think the Ken Palm, let's see, has USM as a, um, an eight point favorite against, um, ULM and then a three point favorite against Texas state. So you're kind of playing, uh, two, I, I guess you would say defensive oriented teams, uh, that don't really shoot it well, but you know, they can kind of get you in a, in a rock fight and, uh, kind of ugly it up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, hopefully we'll see, uh, Curbelo this week, uh, I don't know in what role, uh, you know, there were kind of, you know, rumblings. We kind of said last week, you know, we didn't think we were going to see him at all for the rest of the year, but he was back on the court or he was back on the bench, uh, which was good to see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, this homestand is a chance to really surge in the standings and you need to go, you know, 2-0 and if you want one of those uh, those double buys. So, did y'all have anything on uh, ULM or Texas State or do we want to get into uh, the baseball? Uh, all I would say is a, a good opportunity at home to uh, to build some more momentum uh, throughout the rest of this homestand, and uh, would like to see Corbello back. Obviously, uh, I know the the rumblings are, are that he's close, um, but uh, that would be that would be good. So hopefully, we can see that. Yeah, each team only has one road conference win, so you got like I said, just hold serve at home like we have been the last year and a half um, in conference and. We just saw some a Texas State team on the road uh, last Saturday that uh, we played about as bad of a game as you can offensively and only lose by five. So just hope we can shoot a little better and the home field's our advantage. All right. Well, I guess we'll get into our uh, our feature presentation here, uh, the big baseball preview. Um, this is usually one of our most – or actually our most listened to episode ever was last year's baseball preview. So what we're going to do, we are going to go position by position – uh, in order of uh, each, obviously each position has uh, a number. You know, uh, as people will know, you have pitcher one, catcher two, and so on. So we're going to start with uh, with pitching, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll start with the rotation. I think the rotation that um, 
everybody is expecting at least in the one and two in some order, and maybe they'll you know flip it based on our uh, versus what we think. But I think everybody is expecting Nico Mazza to go on Friday, uh, and um, and Billy Oldham to go on Saturday, and then Sunday's up in the air. Uh, but I guess I'll let you guys kind of start off on that. What do you think of those first two? And then I'll kind of comment in with some stats and just some things that I think. So, Yeah, I think you, you go into the year feeling good uh, as you're, with your Friday-Saturday guys. And Nico, who's got the stuff to, to miss any bat in America, just got to um, control his command. That's always been the thing with him. Um, but typical stuff for a Friday night guy. He got some really good experience the last two postseasons, particularly the last one. And then, Billy's a guy that has pitched in some huge games both here and um, at his prior school where he won, won a national championship, I believe. Um, he's a guy that maybe last season we kind of had some concern of when he got to the the big top top 50 lineups, he may not be able to get through, but he, he proved us wrong there, um, thankfully. And both regional and super regional play um, held his own. So it's a great, as good of a one-two punch as I'm sure you'll see in the Sun Belt. I think D1 Baseball um, backs us up there with their starting pitcher rankings. Um, and then, yeah, you've got um, a multitude of options that fans are all familiar with for, for Sunday and midweek. Um, do you want to get into that right now? Or, or yeah, uh, Fitz, what do you think of those first two guys? Then I'll kind of talk a little bit about Mazza yeah. and Oldham. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I, well, before I start there, I think, I, I think I'll say, and it probably goes without saying, that this is probably my least um, – uh, or the position group where you have the least concern, right? You know, considering who's uh, moving into the head coach head coaching role. Um, I mean, it's it's obvious that uh, Christian Ostrander has fantastic uh, pitcher um, development ability uh, and talent identification ability. So, having said that, super excited to see uh, what Nico and Billy can bring to the table. Um, you know who we're assuming are going to be Friday, Saturday guys. Uh, I know that, that Jonathan, you mentioned, you mentioned Nico's uh, command being the only kind of small question that we may have, but uh, you know, I think Ostrander talked a little bit earlier um, in the, um, in the, the fall about how his strike command has gotten up to, you know, 64, 65% according to some fall reporting that we saw. So I think um, with, with him dialing in some of that command, he's, he's going to be dangerous out there. So um, you know, we saw a lot of really good stuff from him in the regional elimination against Penn. Uh, he competed really hard in that Tennessee game, um, unfortunately, in the Super. But, um, yeah, he, he and Billy, I expect to carry the uh, carry the weight uh, on the weekend and uh, excited to see who emerges as, as the Sunday, um, you know, whether that be, you know, maybe a Chandler Best or, or, or someone else. But, uh, you know, we'll see what we think about that. Yeah, I think you look at Maza, I think he is going to be one of the X factors, and we'll get into kind of I have two X factors, and we'll get the other one later. But I think, you know, you look at his, his season last year, he had a 4 3 4 ERA, 150 whip. But again, you I mean the control uh, and command is kind of the concern. So he had five, uh, 5.5 uh, walks over nine innings, which is, you know, you know, or, you know, compared to what USM's had in the past under Ostrander, I mean, that's very high. I mean, he really doesn't, you really haven't had any guys at all over four that have kind of been one of those uh, rotation pieces. So, yeah, I mean, he's got, you know, first five round type stuff. I think, you know, D1 baseball actually had him as uh, maybe just outside of their top 100 prospects. I think uh, the key for him is throwing more strikes, having the ability uh, to go deeper into games, being able to get to the sixth and seventh inning, which, you know, he really hasn't been able to do uh, thus far in his career here. 
Uh, and then also, you know, really honing in and, and developing that that third pitch, the changeup. You know, primarily a fastball slider guy. Going to be ninety two to ninety four, primarily with the fastball. Uh, you know, maybe get up to ninety five every now and then. Uh, but yeah, I think Mazza becoming an ace is, is going to be the X factor uh, on the pitching side. I mean, you know, you kind of go back and look. USM has almost always had some kind of uh, draftable ace. I mean, with the, maybe the exception of. Uh, I guess we exclude the COVID season, maybe 20, 2019, Walker Powell. I guess he would have been a uh, uh, free agent selection later on. Uh, but, yeah, Mazza, got to throw more strikes. Uh, but, I mean, certainly I think he's a guy that, you know, has the ceiling and the capability, um, if he can take that, you know, next step to be a, a, a real ace and, uh, you know, certainly a guy that, you know, has a chance to go in the first five rounds. I think you look at Oldham, I agree with Brent. Uh, Oldham was a guy that I, I kind of thought, you know, for most of uh, of last year that he was someone that could, you know, he could get you by the James, James Madisons and the, you know, the Georgia Southerns and look pretty good. But, you know, what was going to happen to him uh, when he faced, you know, an SEC lineup in June? And, uh, you know, he showed that he can certainly handle those SEC lineups in June. You know, he threw, uh, looking at it now, uh, 10 total innings against uh, between Auburn and Tennessee. Only gave up uh, three earned runs uh, in those in those two outings. So um, a guy that, you know, I don't necessarily like him as a Friday night guy, just cause you know, he's primarily a pitchability guy going to be 88 to 90, which is kind of why we were concerned at times last year about him going up against those SEC lineups. Uh, but someone that I think can definitely be a very solid number two uh, for a postseason, you know, caliber June baseball uh, team. So that's kind of what I have on those two guys. Uh, Maza uh, again, at, you know, strike throwing, uh, taking the, you know, the next step, being the guy that everybody thought he was going to be. I mean, I think everybody, when Mazza got to campus, I think everybody kind of protected him eventually to be some sort of ace. He was, you know, highly ranked guy at a high school, top five or top six player um, in the state of Mississippi coming out of MRA. Uh, and I think this is kind of his year to uh, to prove that. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, getting in to, to Sunday, we, we, you know, I think everybody consensus agrees that those will be the top two. Um, you know, we'll see. I think Maza again will be on Friday. Maybe Olin will be on Friday. We'll see. Uh, but I guess I think there's kind of three guys uh, in the mix um, for Sunday. I think you would have to throw out Chandler Best, Cross Civilly, and Will Armistead as being those three. Uh, maybe there's a wild card in there that that'll shock us all. Uh, but I guess what are your guys' thoughts on those on those three guys, and who would you think has the edge? And I guess um, yeah, just yeah, thoughts on those three. Yeah, I think. Um... And this may be a thing where Australia has done in the past where you, you release a, a TBD, TBA on Wednesday when, or Thursday whenever we normally release the rotation and you kind of play it by ear. And you got a game on Monday and a game on Wednesday as well. Um, but I think that all three guys offered um, different different things, different things to be excited about. Um, I, I may lean towards Sibley here in that you get a lefty, um, you get a lefty in the rotation, you get a guy with a lot of experience from last year and experience in the Cape this summer and a guy who's faced those big lineups. Um, he's got just the nasty off speed. It looks like he's, he's throwing the ball well in these scrimmages um, for the most part. Um, and then Armistead, your typical Austrian or late bloomer um, where kind of didn't really may not even know his name or number until the, towards the end of the year last year. And he really came on in, in June in the postseason and um, carried us in that Sunbelt tournament. And um Excited to have him, whether it's a, a starting role, a midweek role, or a, a kind of a piggyback long bridge guy role. And the Chandler Best, excited to have him back. Um, similar to Nico, very highly touted high school guy. Um, 
that we we'd love to, to have the full version of himself this year um in whatever capacity it is but um I would assume he's fully recovered. He's been starting on the bump in a bunch of these scrimmages. So, yeah, we'll see who it comes down to. It's exciting to have all these options, though. Yeah, I think the I think the fact that we're, uh, you know, more or less discussing or debating between three separate uh, guys for that Sunday spot's an exciting place to be, right? I mean, Cross Sibley's electric, you know, the, the prototypical crafty lefty, I would say. Super exciting to watch. Um, interesting to see how Chandler best comes back from his, uh, his injury. Uh, and then, you know, Will Armistead, the big guy, um, right-hander who's, you know, like you said, the, the prototypical Ostrander late bloomer. Um, yeah, we're, it's an exciting place to be, like I said, with three legitimate, um, dogs going after that Sunday spot. So. Yeah, the uh, the thing with Sibley that uh, concerns me is uh, the split. Uh, he he's kind of he's a reverse split guy because he kind of throws that that big breaker. I guess you would call it a curveball. Um, uh, you know, curve. You know, I get maybe just a breaking ball is what some people might call it. But um, you know, he, lefties are almost hit uh, right at uh, three or just under three hundred against him. So uh, you'd be concerned about that over a full season. I think you look at best, uh, you know, in years past, you know, 2020 and 2021, uh, started as a rotation guy. And I think, you know, the 2022 that kind of tried to make him sort of a, a power pitcher, kind of that, you know, a, a closer, you know, a lefty closer, kind of like you had with like, maybe not, maybe not a Ryan Ock because they the different style. Um, Similar role, though. Right. And, um, I, you know, you see that didn't really work out. And then, but, you know, he came up big. And the uh, the kind of a really an unsung hero in that LSU regional, he got eight outs and they gave up one run. Uh, but yeah, I think with him, I think the best he's a guy that's probably going to have to pitch backwards. I think you've seen at times uh, the fastball gets hit hard. I think he's going to have to throw um, a lot of changeups. I think I mean really his pitchability and the changeup it was his calling card uh, coming out of uh, coming out of high school. I remember reading a perfect game report in 2019 that said he might have had the best pitchability or the best changeup. Uh, in the southeast uh, in high school baseball, uh, that um, that that class, and then Armistead, and I'm I'm increasingly leaning toward Armistead's going to be the guy. I think he's pitched really well in these scrimmages. I think he showed that he can be a starter. Or I mean, just, I mean, obviously a very small sample size. Uh, that one game uh, against App and the uh, the uh, I guess the second game in Montgomery that Saturday, uh, but I. I and then you saw him pitch really well against um, Auburn, and then you know pitch well against Penn um, on that uh, on that Monday, and then you know didn't necessarily do all that really well against Tennessee. But I, I, I guess it's going to come down to whether or not they want a lefty in the rotation. Do you or you go with Sibley slash Best there on Sunday? But then if you go with Armistead, that you know really gives you a lot of you know lefty depth there. Um in the bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, those are kind of the, just some of the positives slash, you know, positives and negatives with, um, I guess with, um, all those options, I think, you know, civilly really needs to develop that third pitch, uh, cause he was primarily, you know, a fastball curveball guy and needs to develop the change up. I think with best, I think he's going to have to rely on, you know, not throwing the, fa- or non fastball. He's going to throw a lot of, got to throw that change up a lot. And then, and then Armistead kind of, you know, doesn't have a lot of starting experience. Although I guess, you know, you'd say, you know, Sibley really doesn't either, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I'm kind of thinking it's going to be Armistead, but I mean, do you guys have a prediction on who is going to be, or who do you think it's going to be 
Um, I don't know if I have a prediction. I think, I think, you know, all three are legitimate candidates with maybe the edge towards uh, Armistead. Uh, it's civilly maybe right behind him. It's hard to say because, uh, I mean, you know how Ostrander develops pitchers in the offseason, and, you know, there may be one that's head and shoulders ahead right now, and that could be a surprise uh, come opening weekend. But um, just excited. Yeah, I alluded earlier. I may lean civilly a little right now, but I think the beauty of this is you've got five games in six days, so I hope your starters go long enough to where each of those guys start all five, and I feel pretty good about the the outlook. Yeah, so we'll get into the um, – so, yeah, that's the rotation, and then we'll get it – yeah, the bullpen. Um, so, I guess moving into the bullpen, and obviously two of these guys will – well, I guess you got to have a midweek. Or I guess we will, we'll, we'll kind of lump midweek into uh, to the, the bullpen. Yeah. Um, but I guess you kind of look at the bullpen. I mean, two of these guys will be in the bullpen. And, you know, again, it is, you know, whoever you select for that Sunday – role is going to you know kind of influence how the bullpen is used because you, you either have you know two lefties in there or you have another guy you know like an armistead that ha- has a ton of experience toward the end of the year relieving uh but i guess uh for me the story of the bullpen uh or the kind of the x factor in the bullpen um this actually wasn't one of my two x factors but i guess the x factor within the bullpen uh uh specifically is uh, jb middleton and i think uh you know you looked at Middleton last year. He was, you know, absolutely electric in that first, uh, that opening weekend series against Liberty where you think is up to 97, 98. Uh, and then, you know, he kind of struggled uh, later in the year, got hurt, had a foot injury. Uh, but I think you kind of look at him as having the stuff, you know, he's been up to mid, mid nineties. I mean, upper nineties almost really. I think he, you know, he touched 98 at times. Uh, and he's kind of one of these classic, you know, the, uh, guys that really USM has relied on in recent years and you can throw uh, uh Maza into this uh, uh category or the smaller guys but they got a big arm you look at Gabe Shepard you look at Nico Maza and you know you look at Middleton uh, but I think his ability to be a, a shutdown uh reliever is, is going to be huge I mean I think if you know I think there are questions with the rotation we you know we talked about uh you haven't solidified a, a third guy you know maybe Maza hasn't you know, has potential but hasn't done it over a full season. So I think that could make, the you know, the bullpen really important. And I think I like the depth in the bullpen. But I guess J.B. Middleton and then some of the guys you got that are that you're watching in the bullpen um, this year. Yeah, I think the bullpen is what excites me most about uh, the 2024 version of this team. It's just the amount of things we hear about how deep we are in the stuff and the names. I think that, like you said, Middleton's going to be huge if, if he can anchor down that ninth inning role. But if you re- rewind it a little bit to the, the eighth and the seventh, I think right now, if, if Oz had the pencil names right there, you've got um, Jake Cook and Landon Payne as well. Um, Jake Cook is from the left side, um, been clocked up to 97, um, looked really good in the fog. It's a guy that we were excited about going back to two falls ago. I, know, I remember hearing his name and how he impressed the coaches and the, the scrimmages. And then Landon Payne's a guy, um, big guy, beard. Coach Oz says he looks like a lumberjack from Pearl River walk out the Metallica, I'm pretty sure. That left, right, left complement, seven, eight, nine, and then some other pieces from, from years past and that you can recognize. You've got whoever, like we said earlier, won't be that third starter out of out of Sibley, Armistead, and Bess. And you've got Colby Allen from last year, Chase Adams from last year, um, Ben Riley Fowler, Drew Duckenmiller, uh, an Armistead brother, an Og brother, um, a guy like Drake Meeks is really – flashed in, in scrimmages as well. Let me put it this way. If 
this bullpen has a true freshman from Ocean Springs pumping 93 to 95 that's been lights out his last two scrimmages, and he may not even throw a pitch this year, McCarty English. Um, the pieces and the different guys that can flash and the late bloomer trademark Ostrander candidates every year. Um, there's just a ton of them. And I've heard for us from conversations had both in media and outside of media, how excited Oz is about this group, how excited he was about this past recruiting class and upcoming one as well. And um, He's just had a lot of years to develop this staff and know what he's looking for in recruiting and development. And um, it's his team now. And I'm, just excited to see what we what we do on the mound. The amount of options we have is, is kind of nuts. The fact that he compared it to our our twenty twenty two staff that was second best in America, only to Tennessee, who may have had the best pitching staff in college baseball history in, in the modern era. Um, that that's a lot to excite you. Yeah, I think when I think when Ostrander says things like he's cautiously optimistic or quietly optimistic, whatever the words that he used uh, about the pitching staff, uh, it kind of makes me a little giddy inside, right? You know, seeing some of these GCO transfers that we've paired with a couple of returning guys uh, is super exciting. And you mentioned you mentioned some good walkout tunes. I mean, let's not uh, let's not forget about uh, Cole Boswell, GCO transfer, who's walking out or warming up to uh, "Still the Night" by White Snake. That's a uh, that might be an all timer. If you're not familiar with the song, I, I recommend you put it on your on your list. So, um, and, and you know, to, to to bolster the guys that you mentioned, I mean, they're, they're, it's not unheard of that we see uh, Nick Monastere hit the bump, you know, at some point. Um, and I know we'll talk about him some more in a little bit, but uh, I mean, that guy's got some got some crazy stuff too. So, um, yeah, I, I, all I can say, and I know I've said it a hundred times already since we've gotten on here, but I'm just excited um, about some electric pitching, and I think. That's uh that's the luxury of having a guy like Ostrander as your coach is that's going to be the norm, uh, right? Hopefully for uh, his entire tenure and has been thus far. Yeah, you're talking about McCarty English. So he was a guy just kind of talking about him his his high school background. So he was when he was uh, committed to USM. I think he was you know probably seventy or eighty a perfect game in, in the state of Mississippi. Really lightly recruited guy. I mean, usually when you're that low in the rankings. I mean, you're going JUCO at best, maybe D2 or D3. And then, anyways, he had a huge velocity jump uh, his his um, his senior year at Ocean Springs. I mean, again, like you're saying, got in the mid-90s. He's been 92, 94. And he ended up, I think, uh, being number 12 in the perfect game Mississippi rankings, which, um, you know, is re- you know, really good. I think would have been one of uh, USM's uh, one of, if not the highest-ranked uh, uh, recruit that USM had. Um, in this class, uh, uh, middle to just a note on him. So when he was in the Cape, uh, uh, people were kind of talking about last year that, you know, his fastball was kind of hittable. So his fastball, even though he throws it really hard, you know, 95, 96, 97, his fastball graded, uh, lower than his, uh, change up in the slider, which is, you know, obviously really unusual for a guy that throws that hard. So I don't know if that's the, you know, like the horizontal plane of it or, or whatever, but, uh, just something to keep him up. But a uh, Landon, Landon Payne could be a guy like a, a Landon Harper, kind of yep. that JUCO closer, kind of low to mid nineties, and th- those two uh, they Hold remind on. me a lot. Yeah, and I think uh, I think he's going to have a big role. I mean, I think I, I could see you know we talked about Middleton maybe being the closer. I could see him if you know Middleton you know is struggling throwing strikes. I could see him. Um, being the closer, just a little more polished, just having, you know, pitched some in Juco, uh, has a little more experience under his belt, older guy. 
Um, so I, I think Payne's going to have a good year. Uh, so just kind of coming back around to the bullpen. So I, I think you, the biggest bullpen pieces are going to be, and then I guess you, you have a midweek guy that's going to take one of these guys out um, of the bullpen mix. But I think you look at your your bullpen rotation kind of start off. Uh, you the guys you're going to heavily use Middleton, Payne. Um, you know the two guys that don't start. Um, that we were talking about for Sunday. Uh, I mean that that'll be kind of the I guess the four guys that everybody's kind of watching. Um, in the bullpen, you know, heavily used rotation. Is there anybody else that you guys would throw in there, or is that the four that you, you guys were thinking of, or, or what? Yeah, again, I, I'm hesitant to even make predictions because every year Australia has a guy that I, I don't think any of us would have said Landon Harper's name on this podcast two years ago, or uh, uh, just guys you see on the roster you don't know much about, then they just blossom and are the number one or two guys out of the pen by the end of the year, and I, I hope that happens with numerous guys this year. Are we ready to move on to position players? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so we will go in order of the position number. So yeah, catcher two. Uh, so yeah, we'll start off with catcher. And uh, I think the the two guys that everybody's kind of looking at, uh, well, I guess just starting off with catcher, there is not, uh, between all the catchers on the roster, there are zero uh, Division One hits. So that's kind of a position of concern, at least offensively. Um, but I think the the guys that everybody is, is kind of looking, that are, people are kind of looking at, uh, Tucker Stockman, uh, who is a retro freshman? Yes, yeah, so, you know, the second guy that uh, the people are kind of looking at there, catcher, is Lawson Odom. So, uh, I guess, what are your guys' thoughts on those two? And then I'll kind of uh, come back with a couple like summer ball stats and maybe just a couple takes. So, yeah, I think I think Ostrander mentioned uh, how how Odom has has kind of looked really good. Um, so far and um you know maybe has has an edge but i think uh you know tucker stockman is a guy that's got a much bigger frame um you know looks more like the prototypical catcher there and uh you know you got guys like graham crawford who have been with the program for a few years and i know have kind of taken a a backup role that um you know maybe time for a breakout so i think we're in a good spot i think the um the fact that that we have a few to choose from um, and, and are waiting for one to, to kind of make your make or break here um, right before the season starts is not a not a bad thing. Um, but excited to see who ends up emerging. Yeah, a lot of youth in that room too. So there's a lot of room for development. Stockman's redshirt freshman. I believe Odom's a, a true freshman from West Jones. Um, like you said, Fitz uh, Stockman six four two twenty. Odom five ten. Um, not smaller catcher frame, but. Um, maybe a little more athletic. Um, I know Odom went two for four on Saturday in the scrimmage. Um, and Stockman's had some good hits in the scrimmages too. And Crawford's a guy that's, that's played a lot of baseball and can be the veteran in that, in that catcher room. And I guess just by sheer numbers, you're deeper um, with five options than you were with, with three, I guess, in totality on the roster in years past where we were we were one catcher's injury away from, from uh, Sergeant playing catcher last year. And that, <laughs> I'm glad we're not going to be in that situation this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think so. Stockman, I'm just looking at his uh, summer ball stats last year for the Cape Catfish and the Prospect League. He had a 988 OPS. So that was, I, I guess, I didn't completely follow his summer season last year, but he had a very good summer season. And I think you kind of look at those two guys. I think, like Fitz was saying, Stockman kind of has the typical catcher's build. I think uh, Stockman's a guy might have a lower average. He'll hit some more home runs. I think Odom will be a guy that can have a higher average. Won't you know? He might not hit any, any home runs. Maybe one. Uh, but I think both of those guys, you know, probably will hit in the same range. And I don't know exactly what that range is going to be just because, again, there's we have they've never taken an at, at bat 
um, an end of Division One season, although we do have a little bit of a track record, uh, I guess, with Stockman just because of the summer season. But um, I, I think catcher, just because of the unprovenness of uh, of that position, I think, you know, people are just kind of hoping offensively at least that that's not a black hole where, you know, you get an OPS combined of like 650 or something. I think you're at least hoping for, you know, 700 or maybe above 750 OPS uh, over a full season combined from those guys. But, yeah, again, really curious to see how that uh, plays out. And obviously you hope for, you know, Stockman can kind of come close to, you know, what he did um, in the summer season uh, in the prospect league, uh, you know, almost, again, almost having a four-digit uh, OPS. Uh, Going to move on to uh, the first base. And uh, I get, I get the two guys that uh, people are bringing up at, at first base, and, you know, I guess we'll get in maybe Davis Gillespie possibly uh, moving there. There's been some uh, reports that he, he's been taking uh, some ground balls there. I don't know how serious that is. But the two guys I guess we'll talk about, uh, Braden Luke and uh, Matthew Russo. Uh, Luke, a, a transfer, uh, sat out last year, uh, coming from Ole Miss, a guy that uh, started his career at Meridian Community College. Uh, the Matthew Russo guy that's been in the program several years now, uh, had a handful of plate appearances uh, a season ago, uh, but still, yeah, again, doesn't have a ton of experience. But, um, yeah, your thoughts on uh, Luke uh, Russo, and then I'll, uh, I'll come in. Yeah, this is a job that doesn't feel like – it feels like it's been in competition since the fall. Um, both guys have experience in college. Both guys maybe not everyday experience. Um I think of a big, big double off the wall Russo hit against Texas State early in conference play last year. Like you said, he got his taste of it last year, which is good. Third year in the program, um, both left-handed sticks. Braden Luke, um, pretty sure he had a bomb in one of the scrimmages last weekend. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting to have options at a position where it seems like has always been penciled in since the last I don't know six to ten years <laughs> at Southern Miss. Um, but yeah, I I, I I would expect to see guys get their opportunity early and see which one takes it and runs with it. And that, that, that's what, what you can hope for um, out of the corner. I don't know that I, I lean either way there. Yeah. I think, I think the most important thing here is going to be, um, you know, has, has Russo taken the step forward that we need from him offensively um, since last year? Uh, you know, he had a, a decent number of plate appearances um, and, and, you know, struggled a little bit at the plate. So I think if he's come around a little bit offensively, which I've heard he may have, um, that that's exciting to see because uh, you got to replace uh, a pretty big bat in Christopher Sargent. But uh, excited to see, you know, what Braden Luke brings to the table. Um, haven't been able to watch the scrimmages like I want to. But, um, you know, I, I think obviously uh, defensively that's a position that you don't worry about so much. But um, – Hopefully we can we can replace a big bat with another big bat there. Yeah, and I think uh, you you kind of look at first base. I think you want somebody that's at least a 900 OPS type guy. I think you know a sergeant. He was a guy that you know hit a lot of home runs, which is typical. You know a typical first base a- attribute. Um, but uh, didn't draw a lot of walks uh, and had a low average. So you're you're kind of hoping for a higher OPS from that position. And uh, I mean, you just kind of look at Braden. Look again, guy hasn't uh, that hasn't uh, have had a plate appearances uh, in Division One, but he had a, over a thousand OPS uh, in JUCO. I mean, you'll see how much that can translate. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Russo had a six seventeen OPS. Uh, Summer Ball had a couple home runs, but I guess the guy that we haven't really talked about, and you know, a transfer that was 
uh, people were kind of excited about was Billy Butler, the grad transfer from Rhode Island. He's a six-year player. Uh, and last year, at Rhode Island had a 1032 OPS, hit 13 home runs, but it's kind of a similar uh, track record to Sargent in that he you know, hits a bunch of home runs, uh, but he also doesn't draw a lot of walks. Uh, and um, Or I guess he has a higher average than Sargent, but he doesn't draw a lot of walks. And um, So I guess that, that's kind of the concern. And uh, he, you know, when he went up against those, you know, regional caliber teams, I think his OPS was maybe in the 700s. Uh, so he's, I uh, will see where he falls in. I mean, he's the guy that uh, has over or almost 350 plate appearances. Um, but yeah, I mean, a six year player, um, and you know, somebody that you know, people are really excited about. So we'll see if he can uh, factor in somewhere. But I guess that's kind of the, the three guys that you kind of talk about there at first base. Uh, we'll get into uh, to second base there. That is next on our positions. And I think everybody's expecting Nolan Tucker, uh, the transfer from Valpo, to come in and take that position. Uh, so I guess what are your guys' thoughts on Tucker? And then I'll, I'll come in and give a couple stats. Yeah, Tucker's a guy that, that both Oz and Creel in interviews have said that Southern Miss fans are going to come to love and grow to know and love real quick. Um, he's all effort, stretches at bats play scrappy defense, can, can do a job, move guy over, lay a butt down. And um, as of last weekend, I, I thought he would be penciled in at the leadoff spot, and he still might be, but he's it. it it's, I think it says a lot when you have a team with this much turnover, and it sounds like he was one of the first to, to win a job, and that's what he's done at second base. So he's a guy I'm real excited to see, and uh, I think that the fan base will come to, to, to love him real quick, like the coaches have said. Yeah, always excited to get somebody that – you know, instantly has a lot of good D1 experience um, and and has some really good-looking offensive numbers, too. So uh, I think, you know, I, hopefully, like like the coaching staff said, he'll be kind of a fan favorite early on. Um, looking forward to seeing that. It's kind of neat to note on him and that he got to play at the Pete last year with Valpo, and he got to see yeah. it as a visitor and decided to choose us out of the portal because of how cool that atmosphere and the experience was um, as a visiting player. Yeah, and, yeah, and look – Go ahead, Pat. No, no, go. go. I was just going to say not to de- derail us much here with the position player talk, but uh, I think it says a lot about our atmosphere and about who we are that, you know, he can come here as a visiting player, see what we do, see how we do it, you know, almost more importantly, how we do it. Uh, that that That's something he wanted to be a part of as a player. So, um, you know, we know it. Uh, most people know it, but it's a special place to be. It's a special place to play. It's a special place to visit as a visitor. I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's no secret that a lot of environments in college baseball, you know, in a lot of parts of the country are not very exciting and are not very, uh, um, you know, not a lot of buy-in from fan bases. So um, it's exciting to know that we've got some of the best and that uh, people want to come play here. Yeah, and he played pretty well in that series, too. I know there was at least one game where he had uh, multiple hits. Uh, but you kind of look at his uh, his track record. So last year, 821 OPS, which is kind of around the Division One average. Uh, 2022, uh, 947 OPS. So I mean, you hope he can get closer to that 947 mark that he had in 2022. Uh, obviously, he's, you know, he's playing better competition, facing better pitchers than he did in the Missouri Valley. But uh, he's a guy that, I mean, I think you kind of hope if he can have like an 850 OPS kind of, uh, in between that 2022 and 2023 season that he had, and then kind of adjusting for uh, the better pitching. But yeah, again, uh, a guy with a lot of experience. I mean, over 450 plate appearances, uh, grad transfer. So yeah, I mean, good to have another uh, an older guy in there. Uh, moving to third base, uh, 
Gabe Broadus, I think, is what everybody is expecting there at third base. Uh, and yeah, so I guess what are your are uh, kind of an unknown just because uh, he's a JUCO player, didn't have any uh, Division One experience first year in the program. But uh, any thoughts on him? Yeah, I feel I like think, you. Go ahead, Fitz. No, I was just going to say I think uh, I think from what what Ostrander said is he's got you know a few things to pick up there at at third base and attacking the ball, but um, I, I think he's got a lot of exciting pop on offense, which. Um, hey, I'll t- you know, you'll take every bit of good offense as you can get. And, um, you know, I, I know he's played a little bit of, of middle infield as well as uh, outfield too. So um, looks like he can do just a little bit of everything. But I think, um, you know, he does look like the guy for third base. Yeah, I think you, you, you kind of heard rumblings um, last year, whether it was going to be him or Verdung taking the job last year, the latter obviously getting drafted that, we had a lot to be excited about at third base after a guy that you were used to seeing over there for, for five straight years and Daniel Lynch. Um, and that's what Bross has done. He was on that big contributing that national championship team at, at Pearl river. And, um, he's a guy along with Gillespie that, um, it sounds like the coaches are just trying to find a way to get his bat in the line or wherever that is. And, and he's played some good third base. It sounds like with it. So it's, uh, another new guy we're excited, um, excited to see in the middle of the order. Yeah, I think you kind of look at his JUCO says he was a guy that hit uh, 382 in JUCO, only hit three home runs. So I think uh, he's someone, and he's still 39 bases. So he's kind of not, you know, typically you look at those corner infielders, kind of bigger guys that aren't necessarily going to be super athletic or steal a lot of bases. And, you know, maybe they'll have a little bit more power. But he's, you know, kind of just looking at his stats, kind of uh, has more of a and just as, you know, height and weight. I mean, more suited almost to, to middle infield, but he's going to play third base. But uh, again, I think he's a guy that, best case scenario, you know, he's a guy that's going to have a pretty good average and get him up in the 300s, you know, maybe 325, I think would be a really good average for him. Maybe not going to hit a whole lot of home runs, but will steal bases. Uh, and I think could maybe be a plus defender there at third base uh, with that, his athleticism. But he's someone that I would guess you would see, you know, kind of in that six or seven uh, hole. But again, a guy that, you know, um, you know, hopefully – you know, can be a you know an eight fifty or you know eight fifty maybe nine hundred OPS guy, uh, primarily uh, through a high average. Again, not going to hit a ton of home runs. Uh, but yeah, moving on, uh, we'll go to shortstop, and uh, I think the guy that everybody was, uh, or uh, I think it was a, a pretty good battle between Ozzy Pratt and Seth Smith. In fact, last week I thought you know that Seth Smith would still kind of be the guy, but you know we kind of heard more and more things about how Pratt was, uh, you know, likely going to get the nod there, but. Yeah, Ozzie Pratt, the transfer from uh, um, BYU, so he he's going to be the guy there. So, any thoughts on him? Yeah, I think he was the the first first guy of the portal we landed last year, and uh, I think batted lead off or pretty close to top of the order most of the year at BYU. Did some good things. Pretty sure he's an Oxford High um, grad, so familiar with the area, familiar with Southern Miss. Um, yeah, it, it, he's hit it well in the scrimmages. Hit a hit a home run today. Sounds like and um, plays it. Has a good glove, but Seth Smith as well, true freshman from Mobile. Um, sounds like when he adds on to his frame, he's going to be another great one here. And it's exciting that you have multiple options there that sound like um, both playing baseball at a pretty high level. But yeah, I think it'll be proud opening day and excited to see him and excited to have some. Uh, you're, it's always a good thing when your middle, middle infield is, is very experienced. Like both of our guys will be um, up the middle this year just for other colleges or from other colleges. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um... Again, just like Tucker, the D1 experience is going to be invaluable for Pratt. Um, 
you know, batted really well at BYU last year. Um, obviously going to be tough to fill Dickerson's shoes as, as a defender, but, um, you know, I think he's plenty capable. I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, and you, you kind of look at his numbers at BYU. He had 874 OPS, uh, which you kind of think, well, BYU plays at elevation, so maybe that inflates a little bit. But, you know, he only hit four home runs, so it wasn't like he was hitting, you know, eight to ten home runs that drove that OPS number based on the, you know, the high elevation there at BYU. So I think the, he, he can translate that. And BYU also plays a lot of road games, being in cold weather, and they also play, you know, places like Portland and, uh, you know, San Diego that, you know, aren't necessarily high elevation. So I think – He's someone that you can come in and have an OPS in the 800s be, you know, at least an average, maybe a slightly above average hitter, and uh, and you know play the position well, play a premium position well uh, defensively. And I think he kind of looks similar to Dickerson. Comes from a big baseball family, you know. I think his entire family played some kind of baseball or softball. Uh, his brother was distracted last year uh, by the Brewers, so uh, you know, similar to Dickerson, you know, comes from a, a big baseball family. So I think. Um, you know, kind of similar to Tucker guys that have division one experience that can, you know, play their position well defensively and hopefully give you, you know, a little bit above average uh, production offensively. Uh, so be curious to see where kind of he slots in uh, to the lineup there. But uh, I guess moving on to the uh, outfield, we'll start, um, I guess, in, in left field. Um, and um, I think the guy that or I guess left field slash DH, one of these guys will, will DH. Um, that whoever does win the job in the field, but uh, Slade Wilkes and Davis Gillespie, and I think, or I guess I'll, I'll give my thoughts after you guys give your thoughts. But yeah, what do you think of those guys? And I guess uh, how that position battle uh, is going to shake out because I mean it'll be completely based on defensive value, just because both of those guys will be in the lineup, but just one of them will be the DH. Yeah, you historically uh, maybe feel hesitant about. Wilkes's defensive prowess. I know that um, that was kind of a question a lot early on with him, but um, obviously a proven bat and just a huge slugger for us. So um, there's no doubt he's going to fit somewhere into the lineup and it, it may be there at the left field position. Yeah, I think in, it, it says a lot in that the coaches are going into the lineup saying these two bats are in the lineup, no matter where they play, they're in the lineup. And I think that Obviously, we know what Wilkes can do. Excited that he's a captain this year. He is um, a guy. Southern, what Southern Miss is all about. You know, Columbia grew up rolling on the hill with the Pete. Committed to us as a higher crew. Stuck with us. Um, it's cool. Really good, neat to see him rewarded um, with that honor. Excited to see what he and and Adams and and Peyto do with that this year. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see which ones in left, which ones. Um, uh, Gillespie's another guy with Broadus and. And I guess every guy we've talked about in this episode so far that we haven't seen hit at the peak yet, that excited to see what they can do with the lights on. Yeah, I think you look at Wilkes. I think the question for him is not necessarily production because you you've looked at what he's done uh, early on in, in these last two seasons. I think it's durability. Can he stay healthy over a full season? You've seen him put up huge numbers uh, in 2022 and uh, in 2023 through the first two thirds of the season. Then he gets dinged up and the, the production falls off a little bit. So I think that is kind of the thing I look at. You know, we talked about Mazda taking the next step being the, the key factor uh, in the rotation. I think uh, Wilkes staying healthy and being a game wrecker is, is uh, your X factor on offense as well as Peyto. We'll get to Peyto later, but 
Peito kind of getting back to where he was in 2022 and, you know, maybe even being better than he was in 2022, getting up into that 1,000 OPS game record um, uh, um, level. But Wilkes, again, durability um, is the big thing for him. If he can stay healthy, he should be able to put up a huge season, you know, maybe an 1,100 OPS type season where, you know, he hit 20 home runs last year. So I think, I mean, really, I don't think it's crazy to expect 20 home runs, maybe even pushing 25 if he can stay healthy. Um in 2024, I think you look at Gillespie again, a guy that we don't really know a whole lot about just because he's never swung the bat in a, a competitive div- division one game. Uh, but I mean, really, a guy that the staff has been high on. I mean, we'll see. I think, uh, I, just kind of a ballpark, I would think, for his uh expectation this year would be you know, maybe he's someone that can hit eight to ten home runs, have a 900, 950 OPS. I mean, you look last year. Uh, in the uh, in the summer league, up in the New England league, had a 704 OPS, which you know doesn't sound great, but they play wooden bat, so that's not necessarily uh, below average. It's probably closer to average. Hit four home runs, so we'll see. Um, you know, kind of how defensively that shakes out. Uh, Wilkes, um, I think you know maybe I mean you would want to try to get him in left field just you know for his draft stock. Obviously, if you can stick in left field, play a position uh, that would really help his draft stock because it's really difficult for DHs. Uh, to get drafted, even if you can mash, uh, so he, he his you know chances of getting drafted will you know be determined if he can show any kind of divisional value and if he can uh, stay out there in left field, stay healthy. Uh, center field, Nick Monastere, uh moving over from second base to center field, inserted himself uh, into that lineup middle of the year uh, at Old Dominion. I think he led off with a double opposite field. Uh, kind of reminded me of uh, Gidry in a way in that Rice game on Sunday in 2017, uh, and then you know he became a main Gidry became a mainstay. I think Monastere, you know, certainly be- has already become a mainstay and will continue to be a mainstay. But uh, Nick Monastere, thoughts on him in, in center field? Yeah, I think it, it, it's hard not to become a huge fan of his. He, before even that Old Dominion series was over that weekend, he the the ball he hit out against. Uh, I think game one against Tennessee, I, I still don't know how he hit it out. He turned on the ball outside the plate. Um, I'm, ex- I'm interested to see how he makes the transition from, from second base to center field. But if I know one thing about him, it's he's an athlete and athletes are, are always going to stay athletes. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's out of the realm for, for him to hit, hit 400, uh, maybe a thousand OPS. Uh, and see if he taps more into the power. There were some 400. Um, yeah, uh, there's your bold prediction right there. Um, okay. Uh, there's some some rumblings on Twitter on how how he looks like he's bulked up this year. Maybe he can tap into that power a little more. Um, contend with Wilkes or maybe and Peto for the highest OPS in the lineup. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see what Nick does this year with a full a full season of ABs. Yeah, I'm not going to quantify my expectations uh, like Jonathan did there. Uh, he's the accountant after all. But, uh, no, the, the guy's electric. Uh, I think that's undeniable. And like you said, the fact that he uh, has put on some bulk over the offseason makes that even more exciting to think about. Um, I expect huge things out of him, both defensively and center field and offensively, um, in that 400 uh, batting average season there. Yeah, I won't quite predict 400, but I mean, I think, you know, you kind of look at his hit tool. I mean, he had one of the more impressive hit tools I've seen from a USM freshman, you know, maybe since the days of, you know, someone like a Trey Sutton almost. Uh, but I mean, yeah, you look at last year, 946 OPS in the summer, 813 OPS, which again, that's good for a wooden bat league. But yeah, I mean, you factor in that he had five home runs and I guess, you know, maybe two third or three fifths of a season, he's added some weight. Uh, I mean, I think you could look at him having 
a 10 home run, double digit home run season, couple that with, you know, I think he's going to hit over 300. I mean, he'll be, you know, and then he's also, you know, he's playing center field. That's a, you know, maybe not a premium, but I mean, you say a semi premium defensive position. I mean, he could be a guy that, I mean, maybe he could be a, uh, or in the running for some player of the year. We'll see. But I, I think he's, you know, kind of your classic Southern Miss type baseball recruit wasn't a super highly rated recruit just because he didn't have the incredible measurables or the Reed Trimble. You know, right. Another uh, Reed Trimble guy where, you know, they, they have the good numbers in high school, just like statistically, and they win like the Gatorade player of Mississippi or whatever. But, you know, they aren't rated that highly by the recruiting services just because, you know, maybe their measurables aren't elite or whatever. But just a really good baseball player and a guy that I think will be a pick in the first. I'm going to say the first five rounds next year. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say that. Uh, so yeah, looking for a, a big season uh, uh, for Monastere uh, there. We'll see where he comes in a lot of, I kind of like him in that two hole. Uh, I think, I think T- Tucker is kind of looking, maybe getting uh, the lead off spot there, but I'll say Monastere. I, I kind of like him in that, in that two hole. Um, uh, right field, uh, Carson Pato, uh, I think certainly slotted in there. Uh, thoughts on Pato. Go ahead, Ted. Yeah, I mean, obviously a fan favorite. Uh, super excited to have him back and um, see what he can do. Um, huge offensive bat um, and is just really good at providing excitement. And I know that fans are a huge fan of him. So, um, you know, not much else to say about him other than, um, you know, excited to have him in a veteran role and um, see what he can do. Yeah, I think when – now that we're talking about Peyto, I think now's the time to kind of give a snapshot for Southern Miss fans and that when you walk into the Pete on Friday afternoon, um, he's going to be the only guy in his same position that you saw anybody at last June. And that's kind of crazy. Carson's obviously a mainstay in the lineup, mainstay in right field where, where all the, the Roost uh, residents love him. Um, and, yeah, he's done, done a lot of cool things here. And I guess this is his fourth year on campus with the red shirt. Um yeah, you really if, if Carson could tap into 2022 Carson, maybe cut down the strikeouts a little bit and tap into the, the power consistency. I think a, a two, three, four of Monastery Wilkes, Peto, or some some something of that order with those three can um, can be part of a lineup that gives gives um, our schedule and some belt in particular fits. And uh, we need th- those three are clicking all year. It's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think that that is one of the – I think Wilkes and Pato being the game records, kind of like I was saying earlier, that is the key. And I think – I think when you kind of look at Monastere has a 1,000-plus OPS potential as well, I think. I mean, if you could somehow get all three of those guys, Wilkes, Pato, and Monastere, I mean, that would kind of be like, a, you know, maybe a Birdo, Braley, Walner type uh, arrangement there if you can get those guys. And obviously, I guess Birdo was a leadoff, and then you, they, that split up uh, uh, Braley and Walner. But it's a similar concept. And I think, you know, Pato – the thing we kind of talked about last year was, you know, we struggled against substandard pitching and, uh, you know, regressed last year. Went from 929 OPS to 787, 16 home runs in 2022 to to four in, uh, in uh, 2023. So he needs to get back closer and, you know, hopefully exceeding that 2022 uh, season, you know, let's, you know, again, hopefully pushing for 1,000 OPS, but, you know, hopefully, you know, at least 950 or so. Uh, and, you know, being kind of that game record or almost, you know, quasi game record, a game record that we saw in 2022. And I think really those, those outfield, the three outfielders, I guess you throw Wilkes in there, Wilkes, Monastere, and Pato. That's kind of the key. I mean, really, um, Gillespie. I mean, that's going to be 
pretty much your power there in the lineup. And I guess, I guess, well, you know, I guess first base as well. Um, but I think really outfield is where the primarily you're, you're going to see that, that home run power. And I think, you know, all three of those guys plus DH, I think they all have double digit home run potential. Um, so I guess, uh, we got on the outline here, um, schedule thoughts. So, I mean, I guess just kind of, Looking at the uh, the non-conference uh, schedule, we'll go by the weekend. So you have Marist uh, opening weekend, then uh, Missouri State, Indiana State, and then uh, La Tech on the road. And then uh, conference weekends, uh, this isn't going to be in order, but conference home weekends, uh, Texas State, Troy, ULM, uh, Marshall, and uh, Coastal. Uh, and then on the road, your uh, road conference weekends will be uh, ULL South, uh, Arkansas State, uh, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and then you know the midweeks the same. You know, a uh, couple of SEC teams you play: Ole Miss State, Alabama. Uh, two games against Southeastern, two games against UNO, two games against Tulane, game against Air Force, which is a little new just because they're kind of coming through the South. Uh, but I guess overall thoughts on the schedule, maybe the Sun Belt at large. Yeah, really tough March. <laughs> that was the first team that uh, that jumped out to me when I saw the schedule. Uh, you start off with a a super regional team last year, Indiana State, uh, our friends from Starkville. And then you, you rekindle with, with Louisiana Tech in Ruston, uh, Bama midweek and Ole Miss midweek. Georgia Southern's um, had a really consistent few years here recently. And then Troy at the end of the month. Um, that's a really tough March. And then the back half of April into the beginning of May, the the two weekends that you probably circle where they're going to determine the conference are, the, are UL at UL. Um, with the last series in April, then Coastal when they come to Hattiesburg first weekend in May. I think that um, that along with closing it out with Texas State at home is huge. Um, but yeah, I think Coastal, getting Coastal at home, getting Texas State at home, Indiana State, probably your best non-con weekend at home, um, and Troy as well. Um, a bunch of key games are at home and we need to kind of defend the peak. Um, but yeah, I think it alludes to the Sun Belt at large. What I was just saying, those big series, the Troys, uh, the Coastals, who have gotten some some preseason recognition as top 25 teams in Coastal or maybe preseason conference winners in Troy. Um, and then UL is always going to have a scrappy team. So is South. Um, we don't, I don't even have to say the history between La Tech those last few years. That year we played them, what, 11 or 12 times COVID year. Um, just 11, great battles yeah. with them. Um yeah, it's a, it's a good schedule, one that I hope our RPI gets rewarded for. Um, but you can't can't look too deep into it when you've got three against Maris this weekend, as I'm sure they are. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, the the Missouri State Indiana State starting off. Um, well, I say starting off. I mean, early on is is exciting. Um, uh, Air Force on the Monday the Monday evening game is going to be cool. Um, Traveling to La Tech, uh, obviously there's a lot of history there with Coach Burroughs and uh, our program, and that's always exciting. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, most excited about seeing, you know, series like Troy, Coastal Carolina, and the the, the teams that, you know, a lot of people think are going to um, be best in the conference and being able to prove ourselves against those programs um, with, you know, what – what I think a lot of the talking heads are, are, are seeing as a lot of question marks in our lineup, um, you know, making us, you know, that three or four spot behind uh, the Troys and the Coastal Carolinas. So, um, you know, the UL series obviously always going to be interesting. I know that they have quite a few question marks themselves. And, uh, you know, you get Ole Miss at home, which is always fun. 
and uh, I think it's exciting. But like you said, uh, those first three against uh, Marist and then following up with Air Force are really the only ones that matter right now. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll kind of get into Marist, but I think you, you, you see kind of one, you know, gimme series, and, you know, now that I say that, Marist will take a game, and then they'll have another <laughs> game where they almost take a game. But uh, I think you have one gimme series. I think you have uh, kind of two more competitive – or three series that I, I, would, I would say are competitive. I think Missouri State was a top 100 team. Indiana State uh, was a, uh, you know, super regional team. I think they, they have an ace that – or a guy that I think they're going to be an ace, Jared Spencer – uh, he's a lefty who's, you know, going to be a pretty high draft pick. They, he's, they said he's, you know, close to like 96, 98. And then, you know, La Tech took a step back. Uh, but I think you expect them to be at least a top 100 team. So I think yeah, I think it is a uh, competitive schedule. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you'd say it's the greatest schedule uh, that they've ever assembled. But uh, I think you had to have three competitive weekends on there. Um, and then I guess just uh, getting into the league, I, I think you kind of look at Coastal, uh, you know, bringing back a lot of those uh, bats from last year, adding some Juco guys. But I think you look at them, they don't, they didn't bring back any uh, rotational or anybody that had more than six starts, I believe I read today. Uh, so I think offensively, uh, they're bringing they're going back to be- that, the 290 foot fence in right field too. <laughs> and luckily you don't have to play there uh, uh, this year, but uh, I think, yeah, offensively, I think they're going to be very good uh, pitching the, you know, they lost two guys to the portal or, or, Two big guys to the portal with Liam Doyle go to Ole Miss. They lost uh, a guy to Vanderbilt that was a, a big recruit. Uh, didn't really do that well, but um, a guy that had a lot of potential. I think you look at Troy, I think people are kind of thinking, well, they got you know, the best hitter in the league, St. Louis, to bring him back to race. So I think that's sort of a big part of the hype there for Troy. Um, whereas Coastal at least kind of get why they're picked you know, to win the league, defending champion, long history of success. Uh, and then, you know, kind of look at Lafayette. I mean, uh, they just announced the rotation today. They're going with the D3 guy. On Friday from Trinity College, and then uh, true freshman on Saturday, and you know they they bring back Cal DeBarge, but they lose um, you know Cal DeBarge is you know going to be one of the best players in the league, um, uh, shortstop there for him. But you know they lose guys like Rockefort, uh, Marshox, and some of those guys toward the top of the order that were really good for him uh, a year ago. Uh, you know South, uh, they'll have Will Turner. He's kind of the next in line of those guys. Uh, the those South outfielders, they seem to have an outfielder that gets drafted in the first round or first two rounds, uh, you know, every three years or so. So it's going to be an interesting year in the league. I think um, I I would pick USM to win the league just because I feel like USM has the most uh, – well, first of all, because I'm a homer, and then second of all, uh, because I think USM has the most certain rotation. I think some of these other rotations are, are less certain. Even if USM doesn't have the uh, necessarily the proven bats and someone like a coastal does, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get um, you know the crossover, uh, you get coastal at home, so that's um, you know you want to play that game for RPI purposes, and then you know in terms of the standings, uh, you get them at home, so that's uh, what you want. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of a, I guess a quick run through the um, the schedule and the league. I mean, we could we could have gone more into the league, but um, you know we you know we'll get into the, I guess, the conference as the season goes along. But I guess anything more on the schedule and the uh, Sun Belt? I think that I alluded earlier to it, that the, the top five or six are kind of solidified in the the UL, us, Troy, Coastal, um, and Texas State. I think any of those five are, is just going to be a, a battle for whatever the order is there and South South always crappy as well too. But I think that 
one through five is, is an exciting race in conference in the NCAA baseball as, as any other conference will be. And I hope we can scratch three or four or five regional teams like we did last year. And I think we're capable of it as well. Ready to move on to Marist or you got some fits? Uh, no, I'm good. I, I agree with all that. I think um, I'm going to predict like you, Pat, we're going to uh, we're going to come away with the number one spot. Well, let's hope so. So uh, getting into uh, this week's opponent, the uh, Marist Red Foxes, and I guess, you know, they're not a, a team that anybody really knows about just because uh, they're, in, they're in New York and they play in the, the Metro Atlantic Conference. But just kind of looking at like last year, they were uh, 270 in RPI, uh, 16 and 36 uh, overall, 10 and 14 in their league. And um, in Massey, they were, uh, let's see. 279 to Massey and uh, just kind of looking they the best team they played on the weekend last year they played a buy series to open up the year at USC uh, which was a team that USC was a team that almost made uh, the field they they had some teams uh, pop their bubble there late uh, in the conference tournaments but uh, they they uh, were outscored uh, 37 12 outscored 37 12 at USC uh, and I think that's kind of where you would expect this series to go uh, but I guess just kind of looking uh, at their arms, uh, haven't it's hard to find kind of information on these guys just because D1 hasn't released uh, their uh, their conference preview for uh, the Metro Atlantic yet as of as a Monday night. But I think the guy they're kind of looking at uh, in that Friday role is a transfer grad transfer from Holy Cross, uh, Nate Chudy, I think is how you say, it. and he's a guy kind of low 90s, I think what they're expecting, kind of 90 to 94 um, uh, last year. Uh, 620 ERA uh, for Holy Cross, uh, 192 uh, whip. Uh, yeah, so another guy, I think Brian Yetter is a guy you're going to see. He's a righty. Uh, this guy had a 937 ERA, a 227 whip. And you just kind of look at their team overall. I mean, they had a 938 ERA as a team, uh, 210 whip. I mean, so, I mean, not a whole lot of pitching there. Um, uh, offensively, uh, 794 OPS, which is kind of around the D1 average, just below the D1 average. A guy that uh, uh, kind of watched for that was a, a freshman of the year for him, perfect game, had him as the, uh, as the player of the year in the league, actually. Byram Hot, guy had, guy had a, a 964 OPS. He's a shortstop for him. Uh, and he's a guy that, you know, probably is a draftable uh, prospect. I mean, I think next year you look at him, 2020, I think perfect game, had him as the number one draft prospect in their conference. So, uh, I don't know how high he would go. I mean, probably, you know, a day three uh, type of player. Um, but he's kind of the, the one guy you would look for um, in the lineup uh, for Maris. But, yeah, I mean, uh, nothing that really stands out. Again, last year played at USC, lost, uh, had a negative 25 run differential. Uh, I think you look at Yetter and Chudy as being two rotation pieces for him. Uh, but, uh, again, you're looking at a team that was, you know, in the 270, the various metrics, uh, you know, in the bottom 30 of division one um, and, you know, really was beaten badly by the, you know, really only good division one team they played uh, a year ago. So uh, I, this is a series that I think you certainly expect to sweep and, you know, you know, preferably have a run differential, uh, you know, around that 25 plus 25 mark. So any thoughts on Marist? Yeah, this definitely isn't the, the flashy opening weekend with, with a state or a, a uh, Liberty or a Purdue. Um, this is, one that it's tough to look at and not expect to sweep. Um, winning baseball games is hard, but the metrics kind of speak for themselves. Um, it looks like they're projected to be maybe middle of their conference. How would you pronounce that? The MAAC? 
Yeah, they do on the nerd ca- on on the nerdcast. They call it the Mac. So oh, yeah, I, like, I might like that better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, swept by USC last year. Swept by William, William and Mary. Swept by FIU. Swept by the the Fighting Billy Butlers at Rhode Island. Um, Massey gives them a ten percent chance to win against us each game, and that's the lowest winning percentage they have projected for their whole schedule. Um, yeah, you you don't want any RPI landmines, especially at home uh, this early in the year. So I, I hope. Even though we're a young team, I, I think we're definitely more talented and hope we can take care of business. Yeah, I hope it's a good opportunity for some of our, our younger guys, um, you know, to kind of flex their muscles a little bit and kind of fill out the uh, the uh, their their situation here. Um, and, you know, for, for the Maris team, hopefully they can get, um, you know, a lot of good play in and maybe a little bit warmer weather than Poughkeepsie, you know, if you will. So um, I think I said that right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they uh, actually, yeah, excited for a big weekend. So. Yeah, they actually got on the field last week, I think. I saw their coach had a tweet out that they were on the field in February, and that's probably a big deal for them. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, certainly uh, warmer weather than it is uh, there. Uh, so, I guess kind of finishing up. Uh, so, uh, the Sunbelt Week uh, 1, uh, GMU going to, uh, to Arkansas. I mean, that's kind of a series you look at. Hopefully, GMU can somehow get one. Uh, that, that would be good for RPI. Uh, for the conference, uh, Marshall going to Charleston. That's a four-game series. Coastal hosting a, a round robin uh, with uh, George Mason, Indiana, and Duke. That's a solid field. App State going to Gardner Webb. Old Dominion hosting uh, uh, George Washington. Uh, Troy hosting Southeastern uh, or SIU Edwardsville. Uh, Georgia Southern hosting Maryland. That's a good series. I know Maryland lost Rob Vaughn to Bama, but uh, Maryland has traditionally, or at least the past couple of years, been one of the better teams in the Big Ten. That would be a nice series win. Uh, from Georgia Southern, if they can get that. Arkansas State uh, hosting uh, Nebraska Omaha. Uh, ULL hosting Wright State. That's a that's a quietly a good series. Wright State always uh, a very you know very good or you know one of the better low majors. I think you would say um, you know kind of them at Bryant. Yeah, you kind of look at the when you look at the bottom five to seven conferences that you always say Wright State Bryant and I guess maybe Oral Roberts too. Although you know you kind of think they transcend conference almost, but. Uh, Texas State hosting uh, Youngstown State, uh, ULM hosting Missouri State, and obviously Missouri State coming here next week. Uh, Georgia State going to UNO, and then South is hosting uh, North Alabama. So uh, any thoughts? And then I guess uh, a couple of uh, future uh, weekend opponents, uh, Indiana State around Robin and Tampa with uh, USF, uh, UConn, and, uh, and Louisville. So that's a solid field. I mean, I think if they go two and one, uh, they would get some respect, and honestly, they maybe get some top twenty-five buzz that they could somehow go three and zero. And then uh, uh, La Teco's Northern Colorado, and I think that's a four-game series actually there in Ruston. But I guess any thoughts on the yeah. uh, opening Sunbelt slate? Yeah, if uh, Jamie, you could scratch one in Fayetteville, that'd be pretty cool. But yeah, I think sneaky good series for sure. UL Wright State, Wright State probably the best the best snowbird in America. Um, and then yeah, another good series with. Maryland and Georgia Southern that um, yeah, that one's televised. They're on ESPN Plus. I may watch a little bit of that. Maryland's typically, like you said, a good Big Ten team. But yeah, I just hope the a league that is pro- predominantly good at baseball can start out on a hot foot and um, boost everybody's RPI rankings going into the in the non conference. Yeah, I'd like to put some eyes on that Missouri State UL too. Um, with those coming, uh, Missouri State coming to town next week. So uh, interested to see how that one goes. 
But uh, overall, some good chances, or sorry, not chances, some good opportunities for some conference foes to scratch uh, scratch some good wins across the board uh, this weekend, and hopefully we can do that. All right. Well, I think that is it, unless you guys have something else. Yeah, some pretty good midweeks, too. Uh, Georgia State, Georgia. Um, okay. Old Dominion plays Virginia. Texas State, TCU, and Fort Worth. Ooh, really good one. Um, Virginia Tech, JMU. Um, South Southeastern as well. Ole Miss, Arkansas State. Um, so I guess we'll record by then. I'm going way too ahead. If you can't tell, I'm very ready for baseball season. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be back Sunday uh, night to recap the um, recap uh, basketball, recap uh, the baseball series, and uh, preview uh, the upcoming week. We'll try to get to, well, I guess we'll get to Air Force. Won't be a ton of time for people to listen to that just because that's a, a weird Monday game. Uh, we'll get to Air Force, uh, UNO. Uh, and then Missouri State, and then uh, come back with basketball. Basketball likely going to have two very big games uh, uh, next week, especially that ULL game. But, uh, yeah, thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, this is, uh, you know, people like the baseball previews, and this is probably the longest that we're ever going to go maybe, uh, just over uh, an hour 30. Uh, but, yeah, thanks uh, for listening, and we'll see you uh, next uh, next Sunday.